Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. It's the 10th of August. I'm Simon Copland. I'm Benjamin Riley. Welcome to Queers. Each episode, we talk our way through questions on a theme, and today we're talking about the International AIDS Conference. As we've mentioned in the last couple of episodes, uh, Benjamin has just gotten back from a trip to attend the conference in the South African city of Durban. Given how significant the conference is for a lot of queer communities worldwide, we thought this would be a nice opportunity to dig into a topic we don't discuss very often on the podcast, uh, which is HIV. Uh, so let's dive straight into it. Uh, ben, before we get into the content of the con- conference, I was wondering if you could just uh, tell us a little bit more about it. Uh, what was the purpose of it and how did it run over the time that you were there? So it's uh, so it happens every two years. It's like enormous. Um, the last one was in Melbourne. So this was the, the second one that I've been at. Um, and it's like I think it's like one of the biggest kind of health or medical conferences in the world, if not the biggest one. Um, it is, it's very, very high profile. So it, it, there are always like a lot of celebrities there. Um, this year we had, who do we have? Elton John was there. Prince oh, Harry really? was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't actually see any of the celebrities ridiculously. Um, uh, Elton John was there. Charlize Theron was there. She was like the kind of ambassador for the whole thing. So lots and lots of really famous people, as well as like heads of government from um, around the world. So it's like it's a really, really big deal um, and just kind of takes over whatever city it's in. So it was in uh, Durban, which I'd never actually heard of. I didn't know much about South Africa, but it's a, it's kind of quite a large city, about I think 4 million people on the uh, east coast of um, South Africa. Uh, and so the, the conference is it's sort of split into two bits or, or it was it is for, for, for a lot of people. So the, the first few days, um, the conference proper runs from about like Monday till Friday during the week. But the first couple of days are pre-conferences, they're called. Mm-hmm. So they're just like little sort of day-long conferences that are about specific things. And, and they often, I think particularly for people who are interested in 
um, what what we call key populations. I'm putting air quotes around that because it's a silly kind of sector term, um, who, which are kind of people disproportionately affected by HIV and AIDS, which obviously includes um, gay men, uh, trans people, men who have sex with men generally, as well as a bunch of other different uh, groups. Um, they The pre-conferences tend to be more interesting because they're often organized around those sorts of things. And they're a way of kind of getting those topics, um, giving them space and allowing them to be organized by uh, groups that represent those populations uh, separate from the main conference. So like the, the you know, I spent all day on the Saturday at one uh, that's kind of focused on men who have sex with men. Uh, there was one on on trans, mostly trans women, um, but trans people generally. Uh, there was one on kind of HIV criminalization, which I find is something I find really interesting. Um, so you kind of do that for a couple of days, and then the conference proper is more. Um, it's 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 very sort of medically dominated. So yep, so it's yep. a, a lot of it is like doctors talking about um, new treatments and cure research and how um, uh, new prevention methods and, and kind of how HIV interacts with things like uh, TB is a big a big thing, particularly in, in Africa, because apparently um, most of the people who die from AIDS-related illnesses around the world, it's like they, they're co-infected with, with TB. Oh, okay. Um, so just lo- lots of kind of, uh, lots of that sort of thing. So that's sort of what the conference looks like, I guess. Okay, cool. That's good. I think it's really just good to get a bit of a background to it. Um, so the next question I want to ask you is, uh, what was what do you think was the most interesting att- session you attended, or what was the most interesting part of it for you, and and why was that the case? Sure. I mean the the most interesting thing I went to, uh, I think we're going to get into a little bit later, which which is something I oh well actually it's been on the podcast. Uh, yeah, which yeah. Was the the interview that was the last podcast episode. Um, I mean, that, the, an, an interview about a session that I that I went to, which was about uh, trans men, uh, and I guess particularly trans masculine people's experience of engaging with um, uh, HIV services that are kind of primarily targeted towards cis gay men. Um, but I'm no, uh, yeah, I'm no one to a bunch of good stuff. One another thing that I also wrote about for Star Observer that I found. Um, fascinating but uh, really depressing was uh, a session with a bunch of... This was in that pre-conference about men who have sex with men, uh, a session with a bunch of uh, gay African activists who were talking about, um, I guess, guess the kind of specific uh, challenges that they face in the various countries they were from. There were people from uh, Uganda, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, um, I think that might, those might have been the, the, the countries represented on the panel. Uh, but it, I, I found it fascinating because um, I suppose it, it, a lot of what they were talking about was that their experience on the ground of uh, de- dealing with, you know, trying trying to prevent HIV and, and, and trying to um, get access to, to treatment for HIV with people living with the virus uh, really runs, their experiences run quite, counter to the dominant narratives that things are sort of generally getting better. Um, So there's this, you know, there's often at AIDS conferences a a sort of triumphalism, uh, particularly from UN bodies and other international bodies that, uh, you know, and and maybe this is tied to like kind of fear of losing funding or whatever, but, you know, it says, you know, your funding is working, you know, things are sort of broadly Mm -hmm. getting better, but always with a note of caution, you know, they will get worse if you don't keep funding us. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose what these uh, men were saying largely is that the money, they don't really see the impact of the money at all. Um, and and that, that was really depressing, you know, to think that nothing much has changed for a lot of these men. The other, I mean, the other thing that I found really fascinating, which I think um, sort of ties in a bit to stuff that we've talked about uh, around how uh, queer communities in Australia engage with what happens to queer communities in other countries is uh, that they talked a lot about how they they really don't want to be seen as um, people ne- in need of kind of help, you know, mm. that that whilst they need things like um, sort of financial uh, support and, and general sort of, you know, again, quote-unquote capacity building, um, they are subject matter experts. You know, this this guy stood up on, on the stage and said, um, you know, I have a master's in public health. Like, I know what I'm doing. I know what my community needs. So, you know, don't come in here and say uh, that you know how to help us. Like, we know how to help us. Yep, we just yep. need help to actually be able to enact that. Which reminds me of a lot of, you know, the discussion about the crisis in the in the 80s and 90s where... Uh, Due to a lack of uh, support and capacity and funding, a lot of gay men in in places like the US and Australia did a lot of that work to become subject uh, to become masters of the subject or to be to be, to really be like to 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 understand the issue so strongly. And it was sort of saying, "We are the ones who know how to help our community here. You need to to give us the funding, the the capacity to do it." Uh, and it seems. Uh, like it might be a similar similar type of thing in in places like Africa where where the crisis is still huge uh, and um, and again that sort of assumption that we just need to go and tell them how to fix themselves when these people are smart people who are, who are, who who have have the capacity they just don't well have the skills uh, but not necessarily have the capacity or the funding mm. or the ability to do, to implement the, the problems that they the, the solutions that they need. Mm. I mean and that's something I, f- I find even in Australian context really fascinating about. Uh, HIV, and I, I, I think particularly in the, the early days of the, the epidemic in Australia, is that, you know, gay men were uh, so, sort of like doing a kind of research, I guess, like mm-hmm. on, on, in, on their own experiences, you know, they, they, there wasn't um, a, a lot of attention or, or support uh, from the government very early on. It was better in Australia than it, than it was in the US, but um, you know, so 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 you had the community kind of looking, trying to trying to kind of figure out what role different sexual practices, for example, played in HIV transmission, and and um, and then kind of using that information to to then educate the community about yep. what to, yep. what to do from that. And I think it, something that we don't um, celebrate enough, I guess, is like what a kind of extraordinary burden of, um, I guess, technical knowledge and just general sort of analytical skills and intelligence we place on communities at risk and affected by HIV. I mean, it, it's it's this extraordinarily complex topic. Um, and, uh, you know, we ask a lot of, of people to be able to, to, to engage with that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I think, so, you know, your knowledge of HIV is going to be uh, much stronger than mine. Uh, so maybe some of my references will be a little uh, little um, more general, but I, it made me think of, of watching of watching Dallas Buyers Club, which is a, a sort of similar experience in the US, which was around about 
uh, it, well, that was about drugs in particular and about communities mm. who were not getting the drugs that they needed and doing the research and uh, creating the, the markets, not even the markets, creating the creating the systems to distribute drugs that were helping people, helping save people's lives at that point of time. Uh, and that was... that. That was, you know, based on a true story of what was going on in the US at the time, and a a real burden that was placed onto communities. And are you saying that what you're getting the sense is that there's similar burden on at-risk communities in places like Africa at the moment, of people who are who are taking that, who have that ownership and responsibility and are doing that work, but uh, don't have the, the 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 institutional support to 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 back them up. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Well, I actually think that's true pretty much everywhere. It's, I mean, it's still true in Australia. There's, there's actually, it's funny that you mentioned Dallas Buyers Club because there's a, um, there's been a kind of similar, uh, situation arise in Australia just in the last, uh, 18 months. And I think Uh, around prep, around prep. Yeah. And, and this is so, so prep for people who don't know is, uh, it stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. And it's basically the idea that you take, uh, HIV medication or a medication that's used to treat HIV, um, if you're not HIV positive and it can, you know, like dramatically reduce your chances of, of becoming HIV positive, even if you're having sex without a condom. Um, so it's, it's, it's this kind of, um, new, I mean, wonder treat, uh, method, I guess, for HIV prevention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, so, and, and this to me, what, what's happened around, around prep and, and prep, Grassroots prep activism in Australia is just quite astonishing uh, and and really laudable. So so a group um, called they're called Prep Access Now. Uh, yep, it's a, yep, a, a grassroots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've, so they've had quite a bit of media coverage. Um, they're a, a grassroots uh, uh, group who who set up this scheme basically with uh, a, a number of uh, pharmacies in in. Uh, mostly in developing countries, but they have a particularly strong relationship with one in, I think it's in Swaziland, um, mm-hmm. where um, it, it's essentially an importation scheme. So so they make it easier for uh, people who want PrEP to be able to uh, import it themselves cheaply on the internet because even though it's kind of technically available in Australia, it's not affordable in any way. It's not realistically available. Um, and, I mean, they've even done things in this scheme like... Uh, if if you buy it through one of the particular places, like every I can't remember exactly what the ratio is, but every certain number of purchases, they get like a free lot that can go to somebody who wants to access it who who doesn't have the money to even pay the the kind of reduced rate. And I kind mm-hmm. of look at that and just go, like, how amazing to think that we have this um, prevention technology that exists. It, it's the regulation is. Uh, behind, I guess, where where it should be in Australia and in a lot of countries. Um, but you have this group of gay men facilitating access and even in a kind of, even with an eye to like equity um, yep, yep. for people. I think I think it's that's people, really amazing. People, people creating their own health system in a, in a kind of way when the health system is failing them. Yes, and, yeah. And uh, doing so in a, in a, in a, in a quite an equitable, equitable way hmm. um, that sort of, and 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 like a lot of my experience with with looking at materials around prep and, the, and people's engagement with it is community groups and activists who are doing that education program and providing that support for people to get get access to the drug. Uh, you know, work that you would normally expect your doctors to do and your 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 medical professionals to do. And there are of course doctors and medical professionals who are doing this, but you know, a lot of that burden is falling onto the community groups to do that work. 
and 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 seemingly being quite successful in doing so and and building this huge amount of community knowledge about this about treatments for a, for quite a complex and difficult sort of disease to to manage in many mm, ways. yeah yeah absolutely i mean I, to you know i touched before on this uh the the interview i did with with keenan russell last week um that came out of the, the session which for me was kind of the probably the most interesting thing that I saw at the conference. I mean, what, what did you, it was quite a dense interview, you know, there was, there's kind of a lot in there. Uh, I mean, what did you find? What did you get from that? Um, it's a good question. Um, so I listened to the interview last week, uh, after, after I'd uploaded it onto the, uh, onto the (laughs) podcast site. Um, I, I think, so I think it's interesting connecting it into what we were just talking about in terms of community engagement with HIV and the way in uh, which uh, gay male communities have taken a lot of ownership over this uh, and then sort of contrasting that with Keenan's um, discussion on um, misogyny within gay male communities uh, and the sort of abuse um, that uh, that they described in relation to how um, gay men have treated have and continue to, to treat um, trans people uh, and it's it's you know it's it's disappointing and sad but at the same time totally unsurprising to hear these stories uh, and to hear these stories of abuse of of trans people that are both that range from you know the clearly range from emotional abuse to to rape experiences uh, and and the uh, and I guess what Kena was talking about was the impact that had on service delivery. I'm, get, I'm gathering and how um, in in an era where in a situation where it is up to the communities a lot of the time to 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 deal with um, to, to to take take on that burden of of running of of running the hate you know of being the people who who provide education around HIV and and do a lot of that community organising around it, um, it's disappointing that we still have these levels of abuse that exist that mean that particular people feel sort of outside of that system or not feel are, are, are pushed outside of that system uh, when they receive um, discrimination by the state and they receive discrimination by drug companies and then also to receive discrimination by the communities that are, that have said, you know, we're going to take this on and be do it in an equitable way uh, and that, that abuse is something that we need to address as a community. Clearly, mm. and we're and we're often, I think, just shit at even acknowledging that that exists, let Absolutely. alone being able to deal with it. I, I mean, it's a common, I think, it's a very common attitude among gay men to kind of go, uh, you know, and it is said explicitly at times, you know, we are subject to oppression, therefore we are not able to oppress others. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think, I, I'm particularly interested. Uh, I'm interested, it makes it sound a little like, you know, it's bad. You know, I think it's yeah, bad, yeah, yeah. but also interesting. Um, uh, in misogyny, I think within uh, gay male communities and how that kind of plays out when there are not women around. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, or, or, and, and I guess also not, uh, women are also not kind of, objects of kind of sexual desire um you know there are plenty of stories of of kind of horrific misogyny uh between straight 
men when women aren't, aren't around, but it, it's kind of like the, the the sort of the figure, the symbolic figure of the woman is not even sort of present at all in 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 gay male spaces, or or at least not explicitly. And so so I'm sort of fascinated, uh, morbidly fascinated, perhaps um, as as well as quite horrified at uh, what Keenan was saying seemed to um, provide a. Uh, that you know that 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 that, that misogyny is clearly there and yep 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 and in Keenan's experience, millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Trans men can often become um, objects for that misogyny to, to be played out onto in lieu uh, yeah, of, of yeah. women being in those spaces. Yeah, that's an interesting, it, it's, that's an interesting thought. Uh, and, and yeah, one that didn't quite, quite connect in my brain, but I think it's, it makes sense. And I think that there's, there's almost uh, well, there is an assumption amongst many gay men that we can't be misogynist because we because we're gay uh, because mm. we you know we have se- we don't have sexual feelings for women so therefore you know that's just you know it's not you know it's not a thing that we could do for some reason but then you and and you know and then this sort of um, and I think there's part of it is just because we don't have we don't have this sexual desire for for women, so therefore we can't be misogynistic. 
and then also the sort of the stereotypes of gay men as being effeminate, meaning that we are more closely connected to women, so therefore uh, we're allowed to 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 say things and do things that other men would not get away with. Mm, uh, and I yeah. think that that's that's their joint problems. Uh, and you know, and the experience of I guess yeah, it's interesting to think about the experience of that being you know when you're in gay male circles it definitely you know and there aren't women around you can definitely see it come out very clearly um and it's interesting to think about the experience of that being put onto trans men uh as the as the people who receive the brunt of that misogyny um and it's one of those things like and you were saying about the internet it's in the interview not on the internet it was on the internet um the interview on the internet internet, uh you were saying you know what is how do we how do we deal with this what is the challenge you know what is the the way to deal with this and it is a difficult thing to deal with there is so much underlying um you know i think there's a part of it is underlying um internalized homophobia as well yeah that, yeah that that creates a lot of this and it's challenging our own hatred of ourselves that then also that, that get, gets expressed as hatred of other of, of women in particular and how do you how do you start challenging that I don't know um, but you know interesting thoughts well and and you know it, it, it kind of goes so I think I think it it there's that kind of extra layer for for gay men um, of even to even having to kind of acknowledge that it's a problem but mm. it's effectively the same uh, problem that we face across society, you know, that there's a lot of misogyny and it's really bad. And, and, and how do we deal with that? And I think, you know, one of the things that you and I, uh, I think are very interested in and talk about a lot is, um, the ways that we, when, when we talk about, and I mean, the kind of, you know, we being all of us, um, (laughs) talk about, uh, things, behaviors and, and ideas in society that we don't, like it's very tempting uh because it's easy and it makes us feel good to to just imagine these sort of others who who are the kind of the real misogynists you know the the, the men who hit their wives or or, you know um that sort of that sort of thing and and i think you know you can't really as soon as you as soon as you find a kind of an easy out for yourself you're not I think you're not doing the work, you know, and, yeah, and to come yeah, away, yeah. you know, I came away from that, that interview with Kenan incredibly unsettled uh, and, and really was, it was a bit of a mess um, for, for like a good, a good day or so. And I, I, I think that that's good probably. I mean, it was an unpleasant experience, but um, I, I t- so unsettled in, in your, in your own thinking about your own behaviors, maybe or thinking about your own experience. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 No, I think that is like, it's, it is, it's difficult, uh, and and I and I've experienced those sorts of things where you've sort of been challenged or you've thought about the ways you behave and how that might affect other people, and you've gone, oh god, do I actually do that? Uh, and it's difficult, but it is it is part of that process of like, oh okay, uh, challenging myself and the way I behave and my own thoughts is kind of important at the same time. Um, and and if you can't challenge yourself, then you're never going to be able to 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 improve in any kind of way, or or to to really, you know, nobody nobody is perfect in this world. I think that that's particularly true when it comes to um, misogyny and masculinity, because I mean, I would argue one of the kind of core features of masculinity is is um, uh, oh god, I don't even quite know how to express this, but like a, a sort of desire for um, 
uh, sh- sure sureness or like like certainty mm-hmm. or or um, I, I mean I guess dominance at the kind of extreme end of it, even if that's intellectual um, or moral uh, um, dominance. That's not quite the right word. I, I, I can't think of. Um... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's it's the um, so something I, I think about quite a bit is that you know for gay men for in particular. So so there's you know the, so a lot of the the the, the writing around masculinity for straight men um, talks about it as being a way to shore up their sexuality in particular and to shore up their gender roles. And so it is about that dominance. It is about like, you know, I've got to be the masculine dude because that proves that I'm the straight guy who can, who can fit into, fit into the straight world, even if that's not exactly how I want to act. Uh, and I think what's happened within a lot of gay male communities is you've had a reaction against a lot of the stereotypes, uh, that were placed onto gay men or that gay men, built up particularly uh and and maybe this connects back to hiv where there was a lot of that sort of stereotypes of gay men being weak and people with hiv being weak and mm. and sickly and the reaction to that has been a lot of mass you know have, has been a sort of adoption of masculinity within gay male communities um in particular and that brings has brought with it a bunch of the baggage that comes with that of sort of the need for dominance and 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 being powerful and all of that sort of mm. crappy stuff that comes with masculinity uh, and i think it's it's also important to be able to identify those things outside of the kind of aesthetics of masculinity mm, it's mm. very it's very tempting to see masculinity as a, a sort of set of well yeah aesthetics um you know this is what a masculine person looks like yep, but yep. but i think what's interesting um and but that gives us another sort of out, you know. Particularly, I think for for someone like me who who is not um, uh, particularly um, sort of hyper masculine or anything or anything like that, I kind of go, well, you know, I'm not like that, and therefore I can't be X Y Z. Um, but I think it, it can be useful thinking about masculinity as a um, yeah, that that idea of uh, certainty, the the need for sort of certainty. Um, the need to not feel undermined in yourself and identity um, because it, it, it means that I can kind of, um, I suppose it does point to uh, an antidote to that being, uh, well, vulnerability, basically, mm-hmm. you know, be, being undermined is, is, can, can actually be a good thing and, and, and being um, unsettled and, and being challenged and, and being um questioned about your kind of fundamental ideas about who you are um kind of is in and of itself uh a, a, an antidote yeah yeah and it, i think it goes even beyond that and maybe this is just because this is something i've been experiencing recently but even having a little bit of that sort of um emotional instability at times can be mm. a valuable experience in the long run um but a whole lot of masculine ideals doesn't don't allow that to occur uh and you know and that's something that's talk, that gets talked about a lot in just in terms of men being unable to to th- do things like access health health care or being unwilling to um is a is a is a challenge uh and so it's 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 beyond the yeah it's beyond the the physical appearance and goes down to sort of emotional approaches to things. So I'm wondering I'm wondering maybe we should uh, swing this back around to to HIV uh, and AIDS because <laughs> we've sort of gone off in that tangent, which is fine because we do that we like doing that. Um, so uh, so like we were talking a little bit, and maybe this would be something we can finish off on and something that we can um, talk about 
maybe f- more in future podcasts. I mean, HIV, you said, has something that's become an increasing part of your journalism and, and your work because you work for the Victorian AIDS Council now. Uh, we're yes. just interested, you know, and you were saying this, and I'm, I've just been interested ever since you've said it about, you said you were thinking about why you find this such an interesting topic. And I think we've probably covered this a little bit in the podcast so far today. Mm. But what else do you have your thoughts on that? On, you know, what is this? Sure. Sure. I mean, it's, so I've been, um, I mean, I haven't been working in the HIV sector for all that long, probably about a year, but I've been certainly writing about HIV for uh, probably five years now. Um, and uh, it, it became quite quickly in my job as a journalist, particularly at the Star Observer, the, my, like, my thing, you know, I was sort of the, the HIV reporter for the paper. Um, and, and, and that um, was something I, re- I really enjoyed. Uh, and I think I was thinking about sort of why, I suppose why I find it so interesting, but also why I think it is an important thing to engage with uh, if you're someone who is interested in, um, I don't want to say queerness, but particularly gay male experiences of of, of queerness. Yep. Um, I mean, HIV is the primary sort of interface between gay men and the state, I think that's kind of broadly what it is, um, you know, that we, if, if you kind of go, go back to sort of um, before the AIDS crisis, you know, gay men largely, um, the kind of movements were organised completely se- separately from anything to do with the state and, and gay men were rejected by the state. Mm-hmm. Um, but then with the kind of impact of AIDS, um, that that had to change because people were dying um and still if you look at like where uh i mean if you just look at money basically if you look at kind of where government funding goes to support gay men the vast 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 majority of it goes to hiv prevention um certainly in australia and i think that's that's true of um kind of similar countries as well i mean and that is I mean that just sort of makes it important um, for for better for better or for worse, and it's important to kind of interrogate what that what that means. I think the other thing that's interesting about that and the interesting implication of it to bring it back as we often do to marriage um, is that it's kind of this new space where uh, gay men are, are pushing for this increasing legitimacy from the state, and so and I, I wonder. It's an interesting trajectory to me, I guess, to, to go, uh, you know, these kind of um, uh, shunned sort of outsider um, movements separate from the state to like, um, you know, healthcare being sort of primarily the domain of the state and, and that uh, being um, and HIV being the interface between gay men and the state in that way. Mm-hmm. And now that being becoming like uh pushing towards sort of sort of marriage as as the new way of looking at that. and I, I looking at that and I wonder like how much of uh a, a lot of marriage activism and uh a lot of uh or ad- advocacy whatever you want to call it um and and sort of related uh advocacy is implicitly a rejection of HIV being that site of interaction with the state so, you know, I mean, I maybe, maybe this is a bit of a kind of long bow to draw, but, you know, the, uh, the idea that um, to be recognised by the state in the union of marriage 
is this kind of an, an acknowledgement in some ways that we are no longer um, characterized from the perspective of the state primarily as a kind of public health risk, mm, mm. as as dangerous, as kind of physically bodily dangerous. Oh, I, I mean, I think that I, I, I 100% agree. So I, there's a couple of thoughts that I had about that. And I think that, I mean, it's very clear that HIV changed the trajectory of, of the, you know, I think that the broader LGBTIQ movement or the queer movement or whatever you want to call it. I think it, it fundamentally changed the trajectory of it because it did create that required interaction between the state. And whilst it was focused around gay men, it had impacts for other members of the community, clearly. Mm. Um, and, you know, you talk about the history of the movement and uh, and and queer communities in the 80s and 90s are, are largely, you know, people discuss, you know, HIV is the major turning point in that particular point of time. Uh, and I agree that it created that level of requirement to engage with the state and in turn to create legitimacy with the state, which was not required in the in the past. Um, you know, whilst people were talking about, were engaging with the state in the, the 60s and 70s and before that, it was not essential, not as essential. Um, yeah. And hate- I, suppose, I suppose just, I, I'm, I'm not so much saying that it's, that uh, AIDS, uh, the, the interaction, I'm not so much saying that that uh, created legitimacy with the state, but I suppose more that it, 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 it forced um, an interface at all. Mm, absolutely, but I think I think, but I think what I'm trying to say is that that the the drive to get healthcare required. Um, I think that there was a, a level of you know of either either a need or at least a perception of a need to create legitimacy with the state in order to get the healthcare that was required, sure. uh, and that clearly had an impact on 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 communities in many different ways and the ways that we engage with our politics and the ways that we engage with the state as a whole uh and and it changed the 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 way that we engaged in politics and 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 to me i think there is a connection i think there is there is real potential connection to be made and something that we should research and talk about more in terms of what how that led to a movement that started in the 90s and into the 2000s around marriage i've always thought of marriage as being the way of sort of Making the queer less da- less dangerous to the mm. to the communities uh, to, to 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 broader society. I think that there's I, I'm intrigued by the idea of us not being bodily dangerous anymore. I hadn't really thought about it in that in, under that perspective. I'd thought about it through a whole range of other other means. <laughs> well, I think you know. I, I think that's why that's why I find this so interesting though, because it, it it does you know as as I think I've said to you before, I'm I'm very interested in sort of bodily experience and and. Uh, how that intersects with with a lot of the more sort of abstract ideas that we often talk about, and 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 that to me is why HIV is is, is fascinating because it 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 does play out all of this stuff um, at a really kind of ideological level, but connects it to our experience of our own bodies and and perceptions of our bodies. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, and I think that is you know it, of. It is one of the, you know, the medical issues that has had so much politics behind it, both in terms of the way uh, queer communities are treated, the way it connects to drug users, and and now in particular the way it connects to um, sort of third world or developing or countries of the south and and the interaction between rich and poor countries. Um, It is one of those one of those uh, medical crises that, that crosses over so much of this politics that um, mm. makes it, mm. makes it really fascinating. Mm. I mean, and to, I guess to, to bring it back to the, the conference, one of the, 
the re- the reasons it is interesting as a, at a kind of global level and at a, as a global issue is because HIV and and dealing responding to the HIV epidemic um, is not you know on some level it's not even about HIV. I mean, it, it kind of like all of these like global social issues are played out through HIV. Yeah, yeah. At, particularly at conferences like this, you know, cu- countries where the epidemic is bad, it's it's basically just because the, those countries are poor, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like Australia, we, we, the epidemic is 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 largely controlled here because we have money. Yeah, you know? absolutely. That's, that's largely what it, what yeah, it boils the, the, down to. The, the, the means to, to stop the epidemic is, are there, um, but there's mm. a whole range of social issues that are stopping it from, from occurring. You know, there's mm. been huge adventures in the, med- in the medical technology. Um, it's just there is a whole range of social issues that are that stop that medical technology from being available and, and accessible, etc., exactly. etc. Et you can't get treatment to people if they're worried that trying to access that treatment will get them killed. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, well, we might, we might finish it up there. I feel like we could... Just I could go keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have future um, podcasts to do that. We do, we do. Um, so now that I'm back properly, we'll we'll be back to our regular fortnightly schedule. So that will be good. Yep, yep. Um, and in the meantime, you can catch us on queers.podomatic.com or please, please, please go and subscribe to us on iTunes. And even more important, go and leave us a review and rating, uh, which helps other people find us and hear our amazing content. Yes, I'm <laughs> apparently. I mean, I don't entirely understand how iTunes works, but I'm told that it it does make a huge difference. So yep, do it. Yeah. Um, we're also on Twitter, and you can um, get us uh, whenever. Really, I'm at Ben C Riley, and I'm at Simon Copland. That's all for us today, and we will see you next time. <laughs>